Here we come a wassailing among the leaves so green. Here we come a wandering so fair to be seen. Love and joy come to you, and to you your wassail too. And God bless you and send you a happy new year. And God send you a happy new year. Here we come a wassailing, a traditional wassailing carol. everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the America of America podcast. As always, I'm Will Milam and I am in a much, much better mood this week than I was last week for reasons that we will get to right now. If you listened to last week's episode on the liturgical season of Advent, you know that I was very sad over the departure of Coach Riley, Coach Lincoln Riley, the former head coach of the Oklahoma Sooners football team. But today is Sunday, December 5th, this our year, year of our Lord, 2021, and it looks like we will be hiring good old Brent Venables, and it's going to be so nostalgic if you know anything about OU football. Brent Venables was the longtime defensive coordinator of the University of Oklahoma, and he was our defensive coordinator when we won the national title in 2000, when we uh, went to the national championship games in 03, 04, and 08 all around very intense guy and created some really, really fun defenses to watch when I was a kid. So I'm really excited to see what Coach Venables is going to be able to do with this program, especially because he seems like much more of a program guy than Coach Riley. No offense to Coach Riley. But now if this is all true and we can get a good hired offensive coordinator, everybody who's an OU fan should send Coach Riley a bouquet of flowers sincerely because that's going to be a better fit for him and this is going to be a better fit for us. And in the long term, everybody is happy. So while we're in the mood for revelry, we should talk about revelry. This episode today is about the drinking aspects of Christmas, because as many of you know, Christmas is definitely a religious celebration, but it also serves a large secular and festive purpose that is not new. Uh, One of the things that we like to talk about is how there's been this recent war on Christmas to over-secularize Christmas. Uh, That might be true in that Christmas has always been um, tug-of-war between the secular and the religious. That is nothing new. It's not a creation of 50 years, the last 50 years in America. It's been going on basically since the origins of Christmas. So today we're going to be talking about drinking during Christmas, which is obviously going to incorporate some Christmas history, and it's going to incorporate some social history of Christmas, and also involve some really, really tasty recipes for some drinks that are largely from Tudor England, which are really excellent, and I don't know why we don't still use them. We only use them at Christmas time, and we should really use them all year round. So with that, let's talk about drinking at Christmas time. In order to correctly talk about drinking at Christmas time, we have to talk about the social implications that Christmas time used to have uh, in the old days, specifically the Tudor times in England. Christmas by that time had already been associated with revelry for a long time, and you see that through um, the literature. Specifically, if you've ever read Sir Gowan and the Green Knight, uh, the Green Knight first shows up during a Christmas feast, and when Sir Gowan is off to do his task and he goes to the mysterious castle, he is there at Christmas time and they are feasting for Christmas. Uh, Charlemagne was crowned on Christmas Day as the Holy Roman Emperor. 
And the most famous Christmas story uh, of our age, well, before our age, but A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens uh, has much to do about feasting. If you're dealing with um, the Fezziwig Ball and the Ghost of Christmas Past, the fact that the Ghost of Christmas Present was a um, was a, a, a herald of revelry, and in the after Scrooge's redemption, he goes to his nephew's house to their feast, and he also gets a very large turkey for the Cratchits. So, food and festivities have always been associated with Christmas, and along with that or the traditional Christmas drinks. And the first of those drinks that I want to talk about is called wassail. If you follow my uh, personal Instagram account, you'll have seen that I have been making wassail these last couple of weekends. Uh, I'm getting better at it. Obviously, um, I'm very new to this. But what I think is so cool about wassail is that wassail is associated not with just a drink, but as a verb. To wassail meant something. So wassail or vastuhail or wassail or however you really want to pronounce it, I've heard it pronounced many different ways, literally means to your health. It is a toast. It means to your health, to the health of the company, and the way that we toast people today, that would be what the words wassail meant in the early Middle Ages in England. And after someone said wassail, to your health, you would respond drinka. Just listen to that, and I don't think that sounded like I meant to say. It literally spelled drink hell. I was trying to do it with an accent, but obviously I'm not very good at accents. And drink hell basically was the second expression, which means something like, I drink to your health. Wassail as a verb, or to wassail, or here we come a wassailing, if you're listening to that uh, old song in the cold open, uh, would happen in two ways. The first way would be, People would gather the drink wassail, which we'll get to how to make here in a second, and go from house to house offering a drink of wassail in exchange for food, money, or beer. Now, this was connected to those Christmas traditions in medieval England that were soon to be banned when um, Cromwell and the parliamentarians would win the English Civil War, but actually a lot of they were they were banned at times before that. That would be inaccurate to say that they were really, but they were tolerated basically until well. It's a very complicated history, and whatever I say is going to be wrong if I try to generalize. Please do not write me letters. I swear to God, I understand that what I'm saying is kind of inaccurate because it's just too complex to really get into here. But it was connected to some of the older traditions, which would be things like misrule, and misrule would be connected to some older European traditions where we'd have things like that at Christmas time or in France, there would be something called the Feast of Fools, which would, the entire idea would be that on this holiday tradition, there would be the upending of the social relations. So suddenly the landowning class would become the servants of the poor who the, the uh, property owner would have a Christmas feast and he would invite his tenants in and he would give his tenants his best beer. And this would be a part of wassailing. So you'd go to someone's house with your wassail bowl and you would offer them a drink of wassail, but you would expect from them the best beer. And some of the wassail songs that uh, come from these medieval times that we don't really sing anymore will have lyrics that indicate that if the butler of the house or if the house owner does not give their best, then the wassailers will threaten them. And if this kind of sounds like trick or treat, you know, trick or treat, small my feet, give me something good to eat. If you don't, I don't care. I'll put on my underwear or something like that. There is actually a bit of crossover between uh, old Christmas traditions and kind of our modern Halloween traditions. 
I don't know if that is direct. If they, they pulled from one another, I've just seen some comparisons. So that is something that I don't really consider myself to be super knowledgeable of, but it is an interesting connection. Further elements of wassailing or kind of misrule would include things like young boys becoming bishops and dressing up in bishops' robes, or they would have these, these fake Christmas marriages. And But it was all basically just a ruse to get people really, really drunk and really, really happy for a couple of days of not working. And according to some of the sources that I was reading, what this also did was create a good safety valve for the social relations in England, uh, where there was very class-based, obviously, in the feudal system, that this was a way to let peasants give off some steam and take some good stuff from their landlords and for the landlords to show goodwill to those who work their land. So it was able to keep up the economic relations going on at the time. Uh, you can say that that's good or that's bad, but that seemed to be what was really going on here in that you'd get these couple of weeks off at the end of the year and you'd have a good time and you'd be getting these feasts from your landlord. And then suddenly, you know, working another 50 weeks of the year, well, I guess when it was when it was planting and harvesting season, working those times of the year and suddenly you wouldn't be that upset about it. Another form of wassailing uh, meant that they would go and they would wassail like they were the houses, but they would wassail the trees in uh, orchard producing areas of England or, you know, areas where the plants and the trees produce fruit. And you would go and you'd basically sing the same wassail carols. I don't know if they offered the trees wassail. I don't know if they actually tried to pour wassail on the roots. That would kind of be interesting if the, if the trees would really like a very, very, very sugary, heavily alcoholic beverage. But the idea was that you'd go wassail the trees and hopefully the trees would give you a good harvest next year. Sounds extremely, extremely pagan. Real pagan, don't like it. Hope that's in the past, but sure enough, I guess people did it. So now we have to talk about wassail as a drink because wassail is a physical thing that you can make in your own kitchen and you can drink it. So from what I was seeing, the original wassail bowls were filled with something like an early form of mead, which would have some, maybe some mulling spices or some fruit uh, and would be heated up so the fruit would uh, would mix in with the mixture. Uh, the wassail that I make now is, I, I found it on a recipe on YouTube and so far it's it's really awesome, is to take five apples to core the apples to fill the cord part with brown sugar not a lot of brown sugar but a little bit take one orange put 13 cloves in the orange bake those fruits in a, an oven for 45 minutes 40 to 45 minutes and then take uh, a basically two liters of hard cider apple cider and mix that in with four ounces of Madeira, four ounces of port wine. I use a tawny port wine. And then add your mulling spices, which are, you know, ground ginger, nutmeg, allspice, and cinnamon. You can either do cinnamon sticks or you can do uh, ground cinnamon. Let that simmer a little bit, not simmer too hot because you don't want to cook out the alcohol. Uh, get those ingredients um, combined. Stir, uh, take out with a tea strainer. And while you're doing that, to take six eggs and separate them and then beat the yolks into, I mean, the whites, excuse me, you want to beat the whites into stiff peaks. Once you get them into stiff peaks, add that to the mixture, add the mixture into a bowl and add the fruit. And once that is all combined, you have wassail. It is a beautifully, beautifully tart drink. Um, 
I would not recommend drinking a lot of it because it is very heavily alcoholic and you, and you just really need one glass to really enjoy it. But it tastes like a beautiful, beautiful warm beverage to enjoy on a winter's night amongst good friends and family and fine company to sit around the table and maybe sing a wassail carol. The next Christmas drink we're going to talk about or winter drink that is involved in Christmas is mold wine. Uh, so mold wine is, well, it's actually, wassail is sort of a mixture of a lot of things, but it almost is kind of a mold wine because there is uh, Madeira and port wine in the wassail and it is mold. But the mold wine is supposed to be wine-based. It, it's primarily wine with maybe some other wines. So yeah, wine uh, with the mulling spices as well as some fruit. Uh, the most famous Christmas connection to mold wine in the last several hundred years was its use in a Christmas carol. Um, in the latter scenes of a Christmas carol, Bob Cratchit is offered mold wine by Scrooge after Scrooge's redemption. Specifically, the mold wine offered was something called Smoking Bishop, which has a specific recipe that uh, I was able to find um, on YouTube thanks to the show How to Drink, which is a really good show if you're interested in making good cocktails. But mold wine is uh, has its own particular recipe at most Europeans, uh, European countries at Christmas time, and now really anywhere at Christmas time. So there's a lot of different ways to do it. It's not as it's not as closely kept as wassail because um, wassail comes particularly from England. But mold wine has different iterations. Uh, Vin Chaud in French speaking countries, and also I think the uh, the Germans have their own sort of mold wine, and so do the Polish, and so do the Russians. Even though I have heard that Russian mold wine is really pulled from German mold wine, but I hope to think the Russians probably disagree with me on that. The last batch of mold wine that I made was that smoking bishop recipe that I learned online that apparently was what Dickens was referring to in A Christmas Carol, and that was one bottle of ruby port, one bottle of Bordeaux wine, um, the same mulling spices, so you have cloves, uh, nutmeg, allspice, cinnamon, and ginger. Mold those with the wine. Bake a couple oranges. Uh, I believe it was 350 degrees for 60 to 90 minutes. Take those oranges and juice them and get the juice of five or six oranges. Add that to the recipe. Mold all together with the spices and the orange juice and then serve hot. And it was pretty damn... Sorry, this is a family-friendly podcast. It was pretty good. It was really good, actually. Uh, when I was in Tulsa, when I'm when I'm in Tulsa, Oklahoma, there's a couple of bars that have a very good mulled wine, and it's much better than mine. But I hope by next year I should have one that my friends and family can come over to enjoy. But it has a similar purpose now of wassail, where everybody can get together, get it out of the same punch bowl, and you can sit and maybe sing a carol or talk about days of Christmas. I was going to say days of Christmas past, but that was going to sound like the ghost of Christmas past, but you know, to get together and revel. And finally, we have the last drink that I'm going to focus on today, which I consider to be the granddaddy of all Christmas drinks. And that is of course, eggnog, eggnog being the most popular drink to have at Christmas time amongst these three. Uh, it's definitely the drink that I think you're going to see most at Christmas themed bars, even though I think probably actually mulled wine might be more common because it's easier to do, but eggnog is really really something that we all associate with Christmas. Like wassail, eggnog seems to come specifically from England, even though 
like most drinks, it has seemed to go around in all of the world, uh, especially a spiked kind of milk drink uh, is actually not native to England. Um, eggnog is, but there, there are obviously tons of drinks like that around. But we're going to talk about eggnog just because it's the one that we most associate with Christmas. So it is believed that eggnog uh, originated from this medieval British drink called posset, which was a drink made from wine, ale, mixed with hot milk and spices. And believe it or not, at the time, it actually was not a Christmas drink per se. It was made uh, for a, as a cold and flu uh, treatment. But I guess the cold and flu season is generally in the winter anyway, so I can see how it would be. It would just become a Christmas drink if you just like the taste. The original eggnog, it seems to have originally sprung up with the English aristocracy who could afford all of these all of these beverage ingredients. So they would take milk and eggs and make it into something like eggnog and then add uh, brandy, Madeira wine, or sherry, and they would make this alcoholic eggnog drink. The term eggnog seems to come from the bowls that was served in, which are small wooden bowls that would be called noggins. And apparently this is actually where the drink Grog comes from fur, uh, excuse me, grog comes from two because of the shape of the bowl that it was served in. The most famous eggnog historically, especially in the United States, comes from George Washington, who, though not a heavy drinker himself, well, Washington at the time was not a heavy drinker, um, considering the 18th century United States, but he probably actually drank as much as the average person or maybe a little bit more than the average person does now. But because drinking was a lot more widespread at the time, uh, Washington at the time was not a teetotaler. He did drink, but he drank in far more uh, moderation than a lot of his contemporaries. But his his eggnog recipe, man, listen, listen to this. One quart cream, one quart milk, one dozen teaspoons of sugar, one pint brandy, half a pint of rye whiskey, half a pint of Jamaican rum, half a pint, or excuse me, a quarter pint of sherry. You mix the liquors first, then separate yolks and whites of eggs. Add sugar to beaten yolks, mix well, add milk and cream, slowly beating, beating whites of eggs until stiff, and fold slowly into mixture. Let set in cool place for several days, taste frequently. Oh my gosh. Uh, so I've not actually ever made that recipe, but that just sounds brutal. I, I don't think I could drink that. Now, in popular culture now, eggnog is very famous in films like National Lampoon's Vacation. And and this is where I'm going to tie it into Oklahoma, actually, because I'm not a proponent of buying eggnog at a store. But if you don't have the time to make your own eggnog, or if you want to try an eggnog that's non-alcoholic, I recommend you go to Brahms, because Brahms has some of the best eggnog that you can buy off the shelf that I've ever had. I cannot make eggnog that tastes better than Brahms eggnog. So if you're in Oklahoma or you're going to be in Oklahoma over the holidays, go ahead and go get yourself a half gallon of Brahms eggnog and you, my friend, will not regret it. But eggnog has changed a lot and it's been influenced by other cultures. Um, the eggnog that's served in Puerto Rico is called Coquito and it is made from coconut and I've never actually tried it, but I have heard that it is fantastic. The Germans have their own eggnog. Um, there's certain types of eggnogs in Peru. There's certain types of eggnogs in Mexico. And eventually, as I go through more Christmases, I want to be able to try all of these. But I tend to try to drink in extreme moderation. And I just don't know where I'm going to have time to get around to a lot of these. But eggnog is an excellent, excellent, excellent drink. 
And I also recommend that you share that. Also, you can make it non-alcoholic that you share that with your family. And with that, I'm going to stop there. Uh, We've covered some very, very basics of Christmas history, even though I didn't really spend a lot of time on that. And if you're familiar with the history of Christmas, you're probably mad at me that I left a lot of stuff out. And if you're not familiar with the history of Christmas, I imagine you're probably mad at me because I I left a lot of stuff out again. Um, But I would recommend a couple of books. Um, I've been reading this I have right here is called Christmas, a biography by Judith Flanders, which is about... It's a little over 200 pages, but it's a very easy read, and it's just a very fun uh, chronological history of the Christmas traditions. Over uh, the summertime this year, because I was I was looking forward to Christmas, I read uh, a book called The Battle for Christmas by Stephen Nissenbaum. Um, I read that book first before I read this. Uh, well, I'm not done with it, but I started reading Christmas, a biography by uh, Judith Flanders. Um, the Battle for Christmas is a very, very intensely researched, but it's very much an academic style book. It's still a fun read. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of good stuff in there, but lots and lots of uh, lots of dealing with the with the primary sources. And there's really good, interesting social and economic analysis of class relations in the United States uh, between the colonial times up until now and how that relates to Christmas and how that relates, you know, from going to landowners and their peasants to the rich and the poor, to even parents and their children and the way that we give gifts with Santa Claus. So it's, um, it's very interesting. I would recommend both of these books very much. And with that, I I hope everybody is having a great advent, looking forward to Christmas. I'm absolutely looking forward to Christmas. Uh, As always, I'm available at uh, ChautauquaReview at gmail.com for any questions, comments, or concerns. Uh, And with that, I hope everybody's having a great week. I'm having a much better week than I was a week ago uh, based on that football news. So, you know, Christmas came early. Uh, And with that, I look forward to seeing everybody next week. And I'm Will Milam, and this is the America of America podcast, and thanks so much for listening.